Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Thursday, March 23rd. May 23 corn closed down one and three quarter cents at 631 and three quarters. And May 23 soybeans closed down a whopping 29 cents at 1419 and a half, the lowest close on old crop soybeans in nearly four months. Turning to our guest, this week it's our privilege to have Mike North, president of EverAg's producer division. Mike is a familiar voice and face in agriculture as a regular guest on AgriTalk, the U.S. Farm Report, and many others. Mike, it's a pleasure to finally have you on the show. Well, it's good to uh, finally join you, Britt. <laughs> Your winter schedule is packed, generally speaking, spending time face-to-face with farmers, with dairymen, producers of ag products, fellow ag businessmen and women, and this is your passion, educating, teaching, informing about risk management and around the markets that really drive the bottom line of production agriculture. Anyone who's had the pleasure of hearing you speak or seeing you speak can see and hear that passion. It's been an honor to learn and study under you and work beside you for the last eight years. In those eight years, a lot has really changed in your career. Let's start off by just giving the quick flyby of the last eight years from you know CRMG to, to Everag and, and, and joining forces with, with Rice Dairy. And give us the quick rundown, Mike. Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, I am a farm kid and that's what brings me into the space. I, I not only love the markets, but I love the people that are a part of them and make them actually tick. And so I do love getting out uh, face to face. It's always been a staple of my career. Uh, did that with my former company, started Commodity Risk Management Group in 2014. And that organization maintained a focus on risk management. And I was very involved in the day-to-day transaction, still, you know, very close to that. Uh, but a lot has changed. I worked directly with clients uh, on a very large scale for most of my career. But as the business grew very quickly, I realized that I needed a lot of help on different parts of the business and it was going to be up to me to fill some of those roles and that's part of what led to the merger with rice dairy pete and brian who were long-standing uh competitors of mine but two gentlemen i greatly respected reached out to me to to talk about grains as a complemented dairy and you know we found some synergies there that brought our companies together in 2019 Quickly, I had to move into more of a leadership role and and on a less transactional role in the business. And we grew very quickly following that merger, so much so that uh, it led us to another one with Dairy.com in 2021. And that continued to move me down a path of leadership inside of the organization. And I will say that only because of the work that I did with clients for all of the years that preceded that, did it give me the field of view to be able to properly walk that forward inside of our company? And as you've witnessed, uh, being part of the organization, we've literally tripled the amount of uh, folks that are a part of the organization. We've brought a lot of different talents together. We've brought different technologies together and it's moved very quickly. And so uh, my role today 
is really focused on how do we bring all of the offerings, the services, the products together and specifically move that towards our farm clients, whether that be on the dairy side or, or grain or livestock. How do we deliver these, these products and services in a way that's complementary to their business and adds value? And how do we bring our people together to be able to you know, really be that go-to resource for our clients? So it's, it's been a fun challenge. It's come at us very quickly, but uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, even though I serve in a different role, I still get the pleasure of being out and about touching uh, people on the farm. So uh, that's always been my first love and, and, and glad to continue with things like this and, you know, be able to, to touch the people that uh, really make this special. No doubt. EverEggs got a lot of exciting things going on. And certainly it's a, it's a fun place to be right now as we work at bringing forward solutions to problems. So definitely, uh, definitely a fun place. But kind of pivoting to one of your passions, one of the things that really established you uh, in your career, and that's markets, the core of everything that we do. And so let's dive into markets a little bit. Top of mind among producers is the recent renewal or the recent renewal just maybe of an undefined timeline uh, of the Russian-Ukrainian grain agreement. How are you seeing that extension impact markets and how does the further extension or not extension of that potentially impact markets? Well, it, it certainly has been a, a big story. And, uh, you know, as you heard me tout this winter from uh, conference to conference, show to show, meeting to meeting, uh, I came out early and said, we will renew this deal. I, there was zero, in my mind, zero probability of it not being renewed. And the reason for it is simple. We have a value proposition on both sides of that agreement and, and, and mutual interest in getting that done. And certainly if I'm a buyer of grain, I want to see Ukrainian grain make its way to the marketplace. I don't want to be cut short in my ability to access free and available supply. But deeper inside of the discussion, and this stuff never really gets put forward much, but inside the discussion was coverage on Russian ships as they're coming into port to take Russian goods out of country into the world market. Without this deal, they didn't have it. And early in the conflict, that was one of the first pieces that was sanctioned on Russia. They didn't have insurance coverage on ships coming into their ports. And if I own ships, the last place that I want to move my fleet is into a space where it's not insured. This was a big item. It had to be covered. Russia needs this to do business of their own. Obviously, Ukraine wants cash. They're trying to fund a war, and they want to continue to keep their economy alive. So this was important to them as well. I never had any doubts about this being renewed. I think it will be renewed indefinitely as we go forward, but it creates a, you know, another opportunity for Russia to institute some leverage over Ukraine as it relates to their position in this conflict. And so you'll continue to see it come up. You know, there's even in this round been some discussion is, is it 60 days? Is it 120? You're going to see that kind of posturing take place going forward, but you'll get it renewed each time along the way, unless something crazy happens like there's a nuclear bomb that hits or something that goes way outside the scope of what we see as probable right now. 
but look for this to, to continue to be renewed in an ongoing fashion. I think the bigger question as it relates to Ukraine right now that the market's going to have to answer and come to some satisfaction with is even with free-flowing ships, how much grain is going to be available? What are they going to be able to get planted? What's going to come to market? How does that work? And certainly as we prepare for our own spring planting season and they prepare for their own on the basically the same timeline, we're going to be really watching to see what the capacity is as uh, Ukraine goes to the field. So in that line of thought, Mike, there's been rumors circulating that there's as little as 30% of the inputs needed to put the crops in the ground in, in Ukraine. How does that have a potential impact on the global balance sheet paired with some Argentinian weather that is potentially cutting their production at already on the soybean front, but also on the corn front as well. Yeah. So depending on what the inputs are that are in short supply, and that's where the information gets a little fuzzy. Um, you know, what exactly is it are they that, that, that they're missing or short of? Uh, we don't have real clear view inside of every particular product that's short. But if you look at the macronutrient package, certainly that's going to impact things like corn and wheat top of mind. You know, if we're talking NPK across you know, their mix being short, you're going to see that become an issue in those two crops very quickly. Obviously, what wheat is already planted is what we're going to deal with this spring. They don't have a lot of spring wheat, but, you know, as we go to field in the in the spring here, corn will be top of mind with that. Uh, if, in fact, it's that NPK package, if there's others, well, maybe it affects, you know, others. But if you look at their position in the world, they're number one for the export of sunflower oil. That crop sits in the mix as well. They're number three on wheat. They're number four on corn. They are big, big contributors to that space. And so those are going to be the first things that come to mind as we talk about that input shortage. And anything you take away is important right now, because as you, as you look at corn specifically, Argentina is already tight. And we've watched as the soybean crop in Argentina has been cut. Now we must also ask the question with some of this more recent round of drought, how much more does that dig into corn as we start to you know, finish their corn crop? What has that done already? What more needs to get brought out? You know, we've watched the soybean crop get cut by 40% already with boots on the ground suggesting maybe this crop is only half of what that first expectation was, around 50 million metric tons. But, you know, as we look at the, the world balance sheet, we're in no place right now to really get comfortable with uh, with numbers from a supply perspective. The only thing that's given this market relief in terms of perceived supply and ending stock values is the fact that demand seems to be a lot softer than it was last year. That can change too. So, you know, as we look at the world balance sheet, it's already tight. So you, you start taking more out of the Ukrainian offering to the world supply, that really starts to put some fireworks into the mix for prices as we head towards summer. Speaking of demand, China has come to the market in the last two weeks in a pretty big fashion and purchased some U.S. corn. What do you make of that? Well, I think that has something to do with my comments around Argentina. We've already watched how, you know, 
they've shifted some of their soybean meal purchases away from Argentina to the United States, not in a dramatic fashion, but they've been buying some from us in response to the lack of available soybean meal that will be coming out of Argentina. This dry weather touches everything. So I believe that in their deficit, because they're grossly behind on their numbers to the tune of about 60% relative to last year, uh, I believe they're coming to the United States saying, hey, we really don't want to buy from you, but Argentina's not going to have it. We better get it bought now. And what better time to do that when you know, we're watching the funds puking out of their positions, driving prices lower, and we're staring at the lowest prices we've seen since last summer. What better time to jump on this than now? They've got an open door and and they're taking it. So we invite them in with open arms, uh, but I think it's it's grossly a matter of uh, them offsetting what they perceived as previously available supply out of Argentina with what is already available uh, in the United States. Certainly the market's going to continue to monitor the cadence at which they come to the market. That could be a bit of a shifting situation there. As we shift a little bit more towards our domestic production and the thing that's right in front of us and that we're all eagerly anticipating, which is spring and planting. We're going to get the USDA's prospective plantings report on March 31st, along with that, a quarterly stocks report. What's your outlook on this data? Could we see any surprises what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's a lot to look at as, as, as we go into these next few weeks. And certainly spring is upon us. I saw my first robin a few days ago, and there was a snowfall, even though it was light this morning. So, you know, if my grandpa is right, we got two more snowfalls on the robin's back before we're, we're officially ushered into spring. You know, we're all staring at this thing, and prospective plantings is going to be a big discussion. And when you look at the last 10 years, whenever you've seen a, a planting number on corn in one year fall below 90 million, in the very next year, we bring it back to 92 to 94. Uh, the one exception to that would be in 2019 when we had all the prospective plantings. We an anticipated big plantings, just never got there because of how wet it was. But if you look at the current number right now of 91 million, I think that's in reach. And certainly prior to this break in price over the course of the last couple of weeks, I would have even told you that we probably could head closer to 92, given some of that history that I just referenced. But, you know, there's this now growing question on some of those what we'll call swing acres as to where they're going to land. It's no secret that it's going to be very expensive to plant corn this year. Straight up, that is something that producers across this country have been faced with. They're processing that. And when you consider trying to plant a crop that's that expensive and potentially doing it on borrowed money with interest rates being the highest they've been in a decade, reality is that you know, we ultimately could see some people with this lower price point now shifting back away from corn. Uh, so that could be a part of this conversation over the next few weeks. And then, of course, throw into the mix whatever the weather does. We've certainly had a lot of rain moving its way through different parts of the Corn Belt. And as we get closer to spring, if that continues to be the pattern, you and I both know how that plays out in terms of the dialogue in the market. Will we get it planted? Will we get all the acres in? Where will we cut them short? 
blah, blah, blah. Reality is acres is going to be a very big discussion. It'll, it'll be teed up around the prospective plannings report, but profitability is going to play into it. And then weather follows right behind it. So those are all things we'll be watching in the next few weeks. Well, it sounds like the market could be a volatile place as we move into all of these unknowns and as more and more data gets dumped onto the market. Should be exciting. Absolutely. Mike, it was a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for your time. If listeners would like to learn more about what's going on at EverAg, how can they do so? Well, probably the the easiest one for me to spell out is go to the website, ever.ag, and you can find us there. It's very simple. If you want to reach out to any one of us individually, uh, just find us under the uh, About Our Team portion of the website and you can reach out to us individually but uh, the website's probably the fastest angle on uh, reaching out to us excellent if you've enjoyed listening to from the furrow subscribe to our podcast share it with a friend or give us a review thank you to Corey romero our wonderful producer and Paige driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show 